Welcome to the Help Club for Dads podcast, fathers striving to be more like our Heavenly Father. My name is Alex Farig, and about six years ago, I had the privilege of marrying Deb and Randy Weekly's daughter, Christy. We now have two younger daughters, Aspen, who just turned two, and Skylar, who Christy gave birth to almost three months ago. This podcast came about when I was coaching Deb with the Help Club for Moms, and I kept coming back to the fact that there needed to be some resource for dads, that there was a huge need there. And little did I know that I was going to be the guide to head up the whole process and kick off this podcast. Funny how God works. The heart of this podcast is to create conversations, give how-tos, learn from men of God who have gone before, and glean wisdom into how we can facilitate godly homes and live and father the way that pleases and blesses Christ. Today, we have the fantastic privilege of having an incredibly loved man in our community. He is a father of four and head pastor, Andrew Arndt of the newly assembled New Life East Campus here in Colorado Springs and author of All Flame. Uh, Pastor Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks, Alex. Good to be on it. (laughs) Absolutely. Love to have you here. Is this the inaugural episode? This is it. This is number one. So, Man, (laughs) it can only go up from here. That's the good thing. I don't know. This might be the best one we have. So... Um, just to start off, I would love to hear about how you became a pastor and, and you can tell us about yourself and about your family. Well, I became a, how did I become a pastor? I was born and raised in the church. My parents uh, helped to plant a little non-denominational charismatic church up in Wisconsin uh, back in the late 70s. They were on the founding like board of elders, the team that put that together. And uh, so I've never known anything but church. It used to always confuse me when people would say, when was your spiritual birthday? You know, like, when did you really give your life to the Lord? And and I could think of about four dozen times that I responded to an altar call or said the sinner's prayer. Mm -hmm. The truth is that I cannot, I cannot remember a time in my life when Jesus was not very real to me and very present to me. Mm. And, uh, you know, think about the statement of John and first John, uh, he who has the son has life. And, um, I, I feel like all my life I've, I've, trusted in Jesus. So growing mm. up in the church, I, you know, I can remember from a really, really early age, like probably six or seven years old, uh, as our church was like growing and doing well, uh, we had a really dynamic preacher for a pastor and my parents in their, I don't know why they did this. They just, I think that they thought it was better for me to be in the main service, you know, um, mm. than in the kids ministry. Mm. It always made me sit through these long, I mean, charismatic, you know, so these like services sometimes of Wednesday night church, you know, like three, four, eight hours long. No stop time, right? (laughs) No, it's blown right past it. But uh, I just, I, something about that, the assembly of the people of God and the way that the spirit moved and particularly my pastor, the way that he preached, Mm. there was something about that in the, in the way that you do, like in your own spirit you see somebody do something and you identify that as like a life path. Like I want to do that. I remember being six, seven, eight years old. And that happened to me. I was like, I, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a mm. pastor and I'm going to be a preacher. I, I love words. 
I love the word. I mm. love Jesus. I would love to spend the rest of my life using words to paint pictures that help people see who God is. So that, you know, that sense of call was confirmed through a variety of means over the years. I went off to Oral Roberts University in 99 after I finished, um, after I finished high school and I was a business student at ORU. And, uh, which was actually in some ways that was actually me kind of putting out a reverse fleece, you know, like, Lord, if I could do anything else, maybe I should. (laughs) So like, if I do a business degree and I just love it and I sense your blessing, I'll just do that. But I still felt that pull to ministry that just, it had been with me my whole childhood. It lasted through college. So I finished up the business degree and I went up to Chicago, um, to work on a master's of divinity at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. And spent three great years there learning about the Bible theology. And then I took a job as an associate pastor back in Tulsa in 2006. And that really got my ministry career started. So I was three years as an associate pastor in Tulsa, moved to Denver in 2009 to help some friends plant a church. And I served as lead pastor there until 2017. Okay. And then um, we turned that ministry over to some new leaders and uh, came to new life with no very clear plan other than just to help and serve. And so I did a lot of preaching and teaching here. And then a couple of years ago, Pastor Brady Boyd of New Life, uh, our senior pastor at New Life, asked me if I'd consider leading and organizing our East congregation, um, which I approached with some fear and trepidation. That's a whole other story. But uh, we felt good about that in our spirits and decided to move forward with it. So we just celebrated our one-year birthday as a congregation, New Life East over there That's at right. Academy, 7036 Cowpoke Road over there on the east side of town. Uh, just this past Sunday was our first birthday, so it's been a pretty neat yeah. My wife, Mandy, and I, we've been married for um, uh, going on 21 years this August. Wow. And uh, so judging by my face, obviously, we got married <laughs> I was 13. But I was young. I was 19 and she was 20 when we got married. So we had some good years of marriage under our belt before we had kids. And our oldest came into the world. Our oldest is Ethan. And he was born right when I finished seminary in 2006. So we had six good years under our belt before we Mm. welcomed kids. Um, My son Gabe followed hard on the heels of Ethan. The next summer, Gabe was born. So Ethan and Gabe are about a year apart. Our daughter, Bella. Um, was born two years later. And our youngest son, Liam, was born three years after that. So I've got a 14-year-old, 13-year-old, 11-year-old, and eight-year-old in the house. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. That's, That's the uh, flyby, man. There you go. Yeah, the flyby. Well, thanks for sharing. Well, sure. um, man, we we uh, love having you at, at New Life and congratulations on the one-year anniversary. That's fantastic. Been quite the year. <laughs> Yeah, God's been really faithful. God's been really faithful. We have, we're despite it all, we're a really strong congregation. I'm grateful. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Well, you are um, right in your wheelhouse. Uh, you definitely have a, a, a talent for preaching and certainly writing um, that I've noticed in, in all flame. It's fantastic. Um, there is a, a couple things I want to highlight in the book. Um, the first chapter is truly about. Um, Christ's relationship to the father and just how he refers to God as father and how many times he refers to him as that and that, that unique relationship they have. Mm-hmm. Um, can you, can you just kind of speak on that a little bit, that, that portion of the book and uh, shed some more insight on that? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the things, Alex, that's been most special to me about becoming a father is experiencing, maybe from a different side, some, it's just something of the heart of God that I, I think being a father gives you a unique kind of insight into that. And um, I was just actually just telling the New Life East family last Sunday, I was telling a little bit about that story of when Ethan came into the world and how, um, how much passion I felt for Ethan. And, um, and then when Gabe, you know, when Gabe was born a year later, I remember actually being somewhat concerned, you know, like we're adding another kid to the mix here. And I love Ethan so much. Will I, you know, am I like, if, do I have like a, is there like this much dad love? You're right. Now we've got another kid coming into the world. Am I going to have to cut the dad love in half mm. and distribute that now to Gabe? And it, that wasn't the case, you know, like with Gabe, I got like a whole new heart, you know, like a mm. whole new. I, there was my Ethan heart and my Gabe heart. And then Bella two years later and same thing, like Bella wasn't dividing up the pie even further. It was like a new, so. I but, love that you, I love that you touch on that. Um, I actually have a friend who mm. they have one child and they're contemplating having more, but he's, he's questioning, can my heart expand for right. a second child? I love this child so much. The wrong way to think about it. It's not right. about your heart expanding or anything. It actually is something in the relationship that you have with each kid is so unique that it's a new heart. So Gabe, my relationship with Gabe is not competing with my relationship with Ethan. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And my relationship with Bella is not competing and Liam, it's, it doesn't work that way. It's something about there's a new thing that's born there. And I think that that's, I think that that's a picture of what God as father is like, you know, mm -hmm. one of the things that we say in Christianity is that God is infinite. And that doesn't just mean that God is like a, a lot of something. Mm -hmm. It means that he is unlimited in who he is. So by definition, then with each one of us that God enters into a relationship with God invests the whole of his heart and the whole of his self. And so you know, I used to hear when I was a kid that if I had been, you know, if you had been the only person on earth, you know, Jesus would have died for you. And mm. when I got to be a little bit older, teenage years, I just something about that. I went, is that, a, you know, just, is that a little kitschy, you know, I don't know about, that. but now on the other side of it, having experienced more of God and having studied what the great saints and sages have said about God, I think that that is, that's certainly true mm. that all of God's fatherly affection falls on all of us all of the time. And that's good news for us. And to your point, the question about the book, I think one of the things that's fascinating when we get into the life of Jesus is, you know, some of us um, were fortunate enough to have positive experiences of fatherhood. And so it's not problematic for us to think about God as father. Right. But many of us have had really ne either non-existent because our dad wasn't there or, you know, God forbid, but it happens all too often abusive experiences, you know, with our earthly fathers and so what's fascinating about the New Testament is that the New Testament isn't asking us to take our experience of human fatherhood and then project it onto God. Mm. What the New Testament is asking us to do is it's asking us to enter into the picture of Jesus' relationship with his father and allow that to become the template by which we understand our own relationship to God as father. Mm. And the thing that you see, as you pointed out, actually Jesus preferred um, his preferred title for God was father, something like 162, maybe times in the new Testament, he refers to God as father. And when he prays or when he addresses God personally, he only got, calls God father. 
So when we come into a relationship then with Jesus, what he's doing, one of the things I'm contending in the book is that he's drawing us into his own relationship with the God that he knew as father. And that relationship is a relationship of unbroken intimacy, um, complete affirmation and delight from the father's side to the son and complete trust and obedience from the son's side to the father. So um, I think that when we encounter Jesus Christ, I think that's part of what he does is that he goes, oh, okay, now let me, let me, um, you're going to like you entering into my relationship with God is going to allow you to be refathered, reparented. Mm. And if you are a father, then part of what happens is that as the father himself reparents us, it teaches us in a fresh way how we need to be fathers to our kids, mm. uh, which I've certainly learned over the years. I think I'm, I'm constantly experiencing God's fathering love for me as a challenge to my own and a provocation to my own fathering of my kids, you know? Yeah. And I just want to touch on that because I think that's a great point. You say in the book, a public ministry marked by frequent and regular times of withdrawal from the crowds yeah. in order to reestablish his communion with God. And so how we can take that as fathers is how we can be the best fathers and the most godly fathers is to be in proximity and retreat and spend time with the ultimate, the ultimate example of fatherhood. That's exactly right. And I actually think Alex, I think part of the reason that Jesus is able to be a good leader for his disciples, a really unique leader for his disciples is because of what he knows of his heavenly father. And one of the things mm -hmm. that I always come back to is John 17, where in a couple different places in one place in John 17, Jesus calls his father, Holy father. And in another place, he calls him righteous father. And I think what I experience through Jesus Christ, uh, the divine fatherhood of God is that he's a righteous father. He's a Holy father. So he's not just kind of always patting me on the head and going, Andrew, everything that you do is wonderful. He's confronting and challenging me. Right. Mm. But he's not just confronting and challenging me going, come on, man, step up and be better. But he's also, kind to me. He's in nurturing. He's intimate, you know, with me. And it's those things together that I think actually create, they create the conditions for maturity to take place. And that it makes me a better father. As I experience that kind of righteous fatherhood of God, it helps me understand what I need to be for my kids. That it's not just, I'm not just kind of going, you know, Hey guys, everything that you do is wonderful and everything is awesome. Nor am I just going, Hey guys, you got to do better, be better. You know, it's like, it's a father's love that enters into the lives of kids and goes, now let me call you up to who you can be. And that's what God's love does for us. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's a great point. I think we are called to be an authority over our children. Mm -hmm. um, but yet we don't want to just have that authority um, figure mindset. We also need to get down onto their level and be, human with them and understand and empathize yeah. with, with their humanity as well. And yeah, having that, that fine balance. Totally. Like there's a difference because of how tender God is, there's a difference between his being an authority in our lives and his being authoritarian. Mm. God isn't just always barking orders at us. He's meeting us where we are and mm. calling us higher and doing it in exactly the way that we need to hear it. And again, you think about how Jesus was a sort of, I think his role with his disciples was a kind of fatherhood sort of role, you know, mm that he wasn't just, he was harsh with them when he needed to be. Mm -hmm. Get behind me, Satan. 
Right. You know, and Peter's clearly being driven along by forces that are less than the kingdom of God. Jesus, get behind me, Satan. But other times with Peter, you know, like I'm thinking about, I was just reading this morning, Matthew 14, uh, Jesus walking on the water. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, bid me come to you out on the water. Peter walks out and he goes, well, come to me, you know, Peter walks on the water and then he sees the wind and the waves, he starts sinking Mm. and he cries out, Lord, save me. Jesus grabs him by the arm and he goes, um, he actually uses a word that it appears that Jesus coined that nobody else ever used this word, but it's oligopistoi, little faith. It's a, it's a, it's a term of endearment. Mm. He grabs Peter's arm and he goes, Hey, little faith. (laughs) What, 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 what were you doubting me for? And it becomes this like powerful lesson for Peter of keeping his eyes on Jesus. That's something of what I think God's fathering love does to us is that it gives us the ability to be what we need to be for those people that we're leading and especially our kids. Well, yeah. And I want to highlight, uh, you know, just before he says, get behind me, Satan, two sentences or a few sentences before that, yeah, yeah. he's literally uh, building Peter up and, and giving him a purpose and calling oh, him yeah. out. And you totally have this um, <laughs> correction, but also life-giving aspect of, of Christ with his relationship with Peter. Yeah, and he, the, does, he does that for all of us. The dignity and the position, the worth that he bestows on him. And he sees when there are things going on in Peter that will destroy the fellowship or destroy Peter. He doesn't have a problem calling that out. And I, I to you know, since this is the dad's podcast, I do think... A lot of dads these days have a huge problem with that. They're, they really connect to the idea of God as like tender father, but the, God, but the idea of God as righteous father, I think they don't know how to do. And maybe that's because their dads in their own lives only embodied kind of that righteousness, the standard, you know, they only had that. So they're sort of veering away from it a little bit. But I think mm-hmm. if we're healthy, I just think you have to have both of them together. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think that the children appreciate that, you know, I was reading that, uh, you know, if there weren't boundaries or direction from our parents, we would, we would maybe question whether they truly loved us. Right. It's the example would be if a, if your 18 year old daughter was out with friends and she didn't have a curfew, maybe she would think to herself, am I not loved enough to have a curfew? Did, did, yeah. Do my parents not want me back home? But if you set that per, those parameters, yeah. well, now she, now she feels protected and secured. Yes, um, in the confines of a of, of a curfew, you know. Right, you know the great Holocaust survivor Elie Wiesel said that the opposite of love is not hate, but the opposite of love is indifference. Mm. And sometimes I fear that the way that we're parenting now is kind of like hands off, laissez faire parental leadership. Mm. it feels compassionate to us, but it doesn't feel compassionate to our kids. Yeah. You know, I, that's, that's great that you mentioned that because I used to call our parent parental style free range parenting (laughs) and uh, we didn't want to be helicopter parents and, you know, just kind of hovering, Mm. but I think I took it to too much of an extreme, just kind of letting her do her own thing. And now I'm trying to kind of rein in my two-year-old and say, you know, get that fine balance of yes. love and correction and, yes. and how that those two uh, beautifully can exist together. Well, parents are forgetting. And I think dads, I just, it's too many, it's too many passive dads that we have now, Alex, way too many. And they're, what they're forgetting is that kids don't come into the world with a clearly defined sense of right and wrong mm. or what's good for them. I mean, think about the garden of Eden 
the Lord planted the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you know, I mean, uh, and, and his intention was that actually that he as the father, you know, and what the tree that they were not allowed to eat from is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I don't want you just going out and discovering good and evil on your own. Let me show you what is good and what is evil, right? So God shapes his relationship with the first people as the primary definer of their moral environment. And so are we the primary definers of the moral and spiritual environment for our kids. And too many parents are just missing that. So one of the things that we've focused really hard on with our kids is not, now we certainly give them tons of freedom, but it's not free range parenting. What we're trying to do for our kids is we're trying to help them understand the moral and spiritual universe that they've been born into. And we're trying to create consistent consequences around choices knowing that that actually is good for their brains, <laughs> you know, right. He's an impress on their minds when they know these things are acceptable. These things are unacceptable and consequences are attached and reward rewards and consequences are attached to each thing. What that does is it clarifies their thinking. That's like a, that is, that's like a seed planted in their minds that sprouts up into moral awareness and spiritual clarity. So Mm. I just, I, we have to remember that or the primary definers of the moral and spiritual environment for our kids. And if we shirk that responsibility, we're not doing anybody any favors. Yeah, no, it's good. I I think that um, if, if we are shying away from that, that moral responsibility, um, then we, you know, someone else becomes the expert, right? Yeah. Totally. It's a vacuum. Yeah. Exactly. And you want to be the expert. You want to be the safe place that they can come yeah. and, mm-hmm. and have that guidance and direction. Yes. Um, I love that. So Christy and I have tried to establish kind of a family blueprint. We have more of a blueprint for our um, marriage, but we also are trying to establish a family blueprint. If you were to um, kind of give me a snapshot, if maybe, maybe, um, maybe you have one, um, give me an idea of what that blueprint looks like in your, in your family. Mm, tell me more about the blueprint. What do you guys, what, what, what goes into that for you? And then, yeah, yeah. And we're just, we're just starting off with this, but um, coming back to, I think having a blueprint, you, you are able to say, know what to say yes to, and you know what to say no to, uh, because um, you've, you've a al- you have an alignment of mm. what you are, what you're after. So mm. for us, I think the focus right now, we've well, obviously we got two, small children. Um, but I think you can't instill in them any, uh, too early, uh, the idea of gratitude, Mm. um, the idea of manners that we're not here to, um, to be served, but to serve, um, that, uh, the world doesn't revolve around us constantly. Um, so (laughs) just drilling into our two-year-old, say, please say, thank you. What do you say? Um, and just being, (laughs) you're just hammering at home and seeing the fruits of that because she's turning into, now she's knowing what to say and, and it's just a respectful, loving thing to do that, uh, we're not here to be, to be served, but to serve. And, um, Mm. and just that attitude of gratitude, like I said, I think that is uh, so important Yeah, uh, that a grateful heart is an, is an open heart. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that, yeah, it resonates. have some pieces yeah. like that or not, but 
it's that's really good. I, well, what you're making me think of is what are some things that have been really important for us for our family ethos? Mm-hmm. You know, what kind of an atmosphere are we trying to cultivate here? Right. And um, one of them that has was core for us early on and continues to be core for us. Um, and this comes from an insight that I gained from C.S. Lewis. Um, I had always been a fan of C.S. Lewis. And then one summer, um, a friend encouraged me to read everything that he ever wrote in one summer. Mm. I said, why would you, well, I mean, I've read most of it, you know, here and there. He goes, no, just read it through one summer, just blaze through it as fast as you can. He said, because you'll see the common threads of his work in a different way. Yeah. And I thought, okay, well, I'll go ahead and do it. So I did it. And um, one of the things that became really clear Mm -hmm. is that, um, and those that know C.S. Lewis's work will know this, but but C.S., like what he, one of the things that he thought was that um, right feelings, appropriate feelings about a thing are, um, they're critical for moral awareness. In other words, if I look at the mountain out there, it's appropriate that I feel a sense of awe at the mountain, right? And if I feel a sense of awe at the mountain, the odds are really good that I'm going to approach that with a great sense of respect. When I see another human being, there should be a sense of holy awareness about that human being. And I'll approach that person with it. You know what I mean? Like the what it isness of a thing mm. ought to elicit a sentiment from us that shapes our engagement with the thing. And mm. that, if that makes any sense. And he says, that one of the primary like moral breakdowns in our day, remember he's writing, um, he's writing in their early to mid part of the 20th century is that we've told people that however they feel about anything is right. Mm -hmm. So if I look at the mountain out there and I go, Oh, that's cute. What a pretty mountain. Nobody has the right to question that. But that's Mm -hmm. not true. That's not the right sentiment to have about the mountain, you know, and he (laughs) says the moment we lose that awareness that there are right ways to feel about certain things, everything everything just goes to pot. And so if I start all of a sudden looking at human beings and thinking, well, I get to define, you know, nobody gets to define for me how I should feel about human beings. Well, that's when you lose what it means to be human in the first place. All that's a long way of saying, um, one of the things that was really important to us early on and continues to be important with our kids is teaching them um, the value of respect. Mm. And by respect, I don't just mean that they wander around and they're just fearful about everything. But we defined that in a very specific way for the kids. Respect is um, treating things the way that they ought to be treated, right? Right. So um, what is the right way to treat your toys? Do we just get to destroy our toys or should we receive them as gifts and steward them as gifts? What's the right way to treat your friends? What's the right way to interact with adults? God being God in heaven and you being a Mm. tiny little human being on earth, what's the right way to feel and to think about God and then to interact with God? Mm. That was like a really, really huge one um, for us. Just trying to give our, give our kids a a sense of like, you don't get to define, you know what I mean? Like you don't get to define the value of things. Mm. Things have value apart from your feelings about them. You becoming a mature person is learning to have the right kinds of feelings about those things in ways that are consistent with their value, if that makes sense. And I know that's a little bit abstract, but it really, really served, especially when they were really little. It was a really helpful thing, you know, because like I remember one time, I think it was Gabe was playing with uh, one of these little toy golf clubs that he had gotten like one Christmas. Right. And just he got tired of smacking the golf ball around. 
And so he goes up to the wall and he just whack. And he's got like, Gabe is like my athletic one. He took a swipe at the wall and punched this huge hole in the wall. Oh no. And it created like this teaching moment, you know, like instead of me, I mean, I was plenty mad about it, but instead sure. of flying off the handle, I had this like foundation that I could go to and go, Gabe, but this is a golf club. What is the golf club for? For golfing. Right. So what should you hit with the golf club? The ball. And what's the wall for? <laughs> You know, that, that you can have that whole conversation and like that made sense to him. Like, okay, now if you do that again, now I'm attaching a consequence to it, you know. But that for us was a really big one. Well, that that takes a lot of intentionality to get down on their level, go yeah. eye level and break it down. And I think the very easy thing to do, especially if you're a busy parent, you're making dinner, something's going on, there's chaos in the house. Yeah. It's easy to just default to, no, don't do that. Yes. Because I said so. Right. Right. Um, but it actually t- using these moments as a teaching moment, you know, arguably it makes your job easier uh, in the future. Right. Because well, you're said that because now, you know, our kids, you know, I, like I said, 14, 13, 11, you know, Ethan, we, we've got he's going to be a sophomore in high school next year. And I have heard people complain about their teenage kids. <laughs> we don't have reason to complain about our teenage kids. Now they're yeah. any emotional and the ups and downs and all that stuff. But because we sowed seeds like that early on with the kids, we're reaping the fruit of it now where mm-hmm. they have a, we have a clear culture in our family. They have a deepening moral awareness and we have not defined our relationship with them by just do it because I said so. Mm-hmm. We've defined it by great patience and careful instruction as we're helping them grow up into the truth. So you're absolutely right. I mean, all of those investments that you make early on in defining a kid's environment really pays off down the road if you're consistent with it, you know? Yeah. And last time we talked, um, you made a good point. And I think that uh, everyone needs to hear this is just being able to create trust in your relationship with your children yeah. through uh, repentance and asking for forgiveness when, mm. uh, when you screwed up, right. And you're, you're aware of it and you need to come in and make amends with your children. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I, I think one of the things that's most devastating to a kid's relationship with their parent is when the parent is screwing up and the parent knows it and the kid knows it but the parent is not telling the truth about it. Mm. And I was just reading with my team today, my New Life East team. We were reading Henry Nowen's wonderful book, a great spiritual author of the 20th century, Nowen's book, In the Name of Jesus. Mm. And he talks about how the great breakdowns in our relationship happen because we prize power over love and vulnerability, humility, submission. Wow. You know, Paul says one of the things that I think is very revolutionary about um, about Paul's household ethic, St. Paul in the New Testament, is that for as traditional as it seems to be, you know, husbands, love your wives, wives, honor and respect your husbands, children, obey your parents, slaves, submit to your masters, and so on. It's a pretty traditional ethic he's dealing with, but right. he does something inside of it that's revolutionary. And he does it, um, he says it specifically in Ephesians 5, where he says, submit to one another. Mm. out of reverence for Christ. So it's not just certain people submitting to other people, but it's everybody submitting to everybody in the truth of the relationship because we're submitting to Jesus Christ. So one of the things that I've learned with my kids has been so powerful over the years is the value 
of me admitting my mistakes. I'm a sinner like everybody else. And I'm not just, when I screw up, I'm not just going to handle that in private space with my God, but I'm going to handle that in personal space with the people that I've offended. And Alex, some of the most profound times that I have had with my kids. And I think they're, I think that they contribute to the, the credibility that we have with our children is though uh, have been those times when I screwed up and I knew I screwed up and they knew I screwed up <laughs> and yeah. I get down on my knees in front of my five-year-old daughter or son and say what daddy said there or what daddy did there. I never should have said, and I never should have done. That's not how I feel about you. That didn't come from a good heart. Mm. And I'm so sorry. And God, um, God help me. I'm going to do my best never to do that again to you. Mm. Would you please forgive me? Mm. And that again, like that does something because what it does, well, not only does it like, it takes you out of the realm of power and it puts you in that intimate relationship with your kids, but it also, it actually increases your moral credibility because the very standards that you set, Mm. you're holding yourself to. And they see you being consistent with that. Oh, yeah, dad said we shouldn't treat people like this. And then he treated me like that. And then he said he was sorry for it. Apparently, dad actually does believe that he's not the highest power in the universe. <laughs> Apparently, dad believes that he also is supposed to submit as we also are supposed to submit. So it changes things. And I, I think that more I think that more parents need to do that. I think it's really damaging. I think about all of the kids, you know, all the grown, you know, the adults that I've sat with over the years who had have bad relationships with their parents and they can trace some of their life's difficulties to the bad relationship they had with their parents is because their parents were, their parents acted badly and didn't have the spiritual maturity to admit it. And it just creates, it just, it creates so many disconnects that just lead to relational breakdown. So I think, yeah. How many adults uh, can't do what you just uh, (laughs) outlined there? I know I have, I have a struggle with that myself, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's hard in the moment when, um, admitting, you know, breaking down, uh, your pride and, and, uh, yes. just getting down before someone and sincerely apologizing. That's, yes. and that's but this be what we're good at. You know, I oh, mean, yeah. all have sinned and fall short of the glory, continually fall short of the glory of God. This when is... we're, when we're aware of how much we've been forgiven, that's yeah. a lot, e- that's a lot easier. <laughs> yes. And as we're growing in our awareness of how holy and good and beautiful God is. I think one of the things that happens to you as you grow with God is you become more and more horrified (laughs) (laughs) how you don't live up to that and the gaps in your character. So Mm. as we're growing with the Lord, we should be better and better and better at that. And unfortunately, many Christians aren't. Mm. Well, man, this has been great conversation. Uh, We could could talk all day. Um, One question I just want to ask you that we can end with here. What's something you know now that you wish you knew when you were early on in, in fatherhood? Oh, man, I love that question. What's something that I knew, I know now that I wish I'd known early on in fatherhood? Hmm. I think I'm continually learning and growing. I don't think that there's anything that I could have told myself that would have better helped me. I think that the process has worked the way that it needed to work. I think that one thing I know now that I didn't know then, it's not a negative thing. It's a positive thing. Yeah. I think I anticipated that it would be a great joy. Um, I think I wasn't prepared for how great a joy it would mm. be. And I, I have, I'm savoring every moment of it. And we are, we're three and a half years away from our oldest leaving the house. That's breaking our hearts. 
Mm. And we're thanking God that it's breaking our hearts and that we're not going, please be gone. (laughs) It's been been a blessing and it's showed me more about God and more about myself than I ever could have anticipated. So it's a, it's a wild and wonderful journey. And it is a crucible of transformation. Mm. You know, some of my, the great gaps in my character and areas where I need to be continually sanctified, they've been exposed by being a dad. Right. And that's been for my good. That's been for my benefit. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I think reiterating there, there's no one size fits all to parenting and to child rearing um, that we uh, gain specific and unique insight from the Holy spirit for each of our children. Yeah. Um, I think mm-hmm. that we discussed that before and I, I, yeah. I love that. Um, well, that's, that's the importance of a person having an ongoing personal relationship with God, your prayer life you know, is so critical in this, that, that you're constantly taking your presence as a parent and laying it before the presence of God and letting the lamplight of the spirit search it. And if you do that, you'll get insight on how to be not just a one size fits all parent for all of your kids or some ruler over your household, but you'll know how specifically to enter into the needs of each one of your kids in the way that our heavenly father enters into our needs. Hmm. Well, yeah, this is this has been great. Thank you so much, Pastor Andrew. This has uh, been a blessing to me. I hope uh, everyone listening, it's been as equal of a blessing. I've been uh, taking copious notes here um, and look forward to uh, going over all this content again. Um, so thank you again for joining us. My pleasure. And thank you for joining me today on the Help Club for Dads podcast. Uh, we have a lot of fi- fantastic content coming your way. So stay tuned for further episodes. Until then, love like the Father. God bless.